You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Tis the season for rituals, isn't it? We've barely recovered from Christmas with family gatherings, gift giving, Christmas card writing, holiday decorating, familiar and beloved menus on our tables. And now here it is, New Year's Eve, with its own set of traditions. Anyone staying up to watch the ball drop in New York City tonight? One of the perks of living on the West Coast for so long was that we could watch the New Year's Eve festivities in New York City and then still be in bed by 10. (laughs) Will anyone have black-eyed peas on the stove tomorrow? I love the Scottish tradition of first footing gifts, which I read about a few years ago, in which the first person to cross the threshold and enter a home after midnight on New Year's Eve is to bring gifts of coin, bread, salt, a lump of coal, and whiskey. (laughs) And those gifts represent wishes for prosperity, for plenty of food, for flavor, for warmth, and good cheer. All blessings for the future, for the year which calls us forward today. And there are the songs of the season too, aren't there? We've made it through Advent and now we're in the middle of Christmas tide. Our worship services are filled with Christmas carols. And our practice of worshiping together carries with it ancient Christian rituals as well. At our core, as disciples of Christ, is the observance of the Lord's Supper. It is our centering ritual observed each Sunday we gather. In the Didache, which is an early collection of teachings and liturgy from the first century, it includes Eucharistic prayers, which would have been a part of a shared meal of the communities signifying how ancient this tradition is. The Didache also includes the text of the Lord's Prayer with the doxology, the general form which we include in our worship. And today we'll observe the ritual of the passing of the peace with one another, reflecting the words of the risen Christ, greeting his shocked disciples with peace, as well as the greetings of peace which the Apostle Paul offered his readers in his pastoral letters. And by the second century, it is a set part of Christian liturgy as well, taking place as worshipers approach the time of communion. Indeed, our Christian church calendar holds within it the rituals that shape our common life together. 
the 12 days of Christmas in which we are in now, Epiphany coming up on January 6th, the season of Lent, which this year begins on February 14th, has long been a time of self-reflection, of repentance, and of preparation for baptism. Rituals define much of what we understand to be our faith tradition. From the simple act of lighting candles for prayer, to our collective singing of songs of praise, to the joining in public prayers of confession, sharing communion with one another, and those special rituals which mark the passage of life, such as baptism into the faith community, weddings and funerals. Each moment a time to recall the parts of our past and to express trust in God's future. Our gospel reading this morning offers a few quick snapshots of the religious rituals which reach back into Jesus's religious tradition and point us forward in Jesus's story as laid out in Luke's gospel. The New Testament scholar Marion Swords compares this passage to a triptych in art. You know, the design, it's a, three, it's a painting that's usually divided into three sections or panels that are hinged together and can be opened or closed. The middle section is the largest, flanked by two smaller panels on each side, which close over that center panel. So I invite us to take this triptych form as we consider the scenes of this passage in chapter 2. Imagine on the left side panel that Luke paints a picture of Jesus within the context of a religious family participating in the traditional rites of observing the law. And so in this first smaller panel, we see a young family. They're devout and poor. They're scraping together the resources to begin this new adventure of theirs with the rites of passage their faith encourages. And we see their piety revealed in the rituals they choose to follow, that the baby was circumcised on the eighth day following Jewish tradition, a tradition which traces its way back all the way to Abraham himself in the book of Genesis. And again, 40 days after his birth, we see their religious devotion as the young family packs up and travels up to the temple in Jerusalem for what Luke describes as a purification ritual and a presentation of their firstborn. Luke tells us that their offerings were modest. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, gifts described in what is understood as a poverty clause from Leviticus. For those folks too poor to afford a sheep for the offering. There in the soaring columns of the temple, the family seems small and insignificant, overshadowed by the space that has been made hollow by generations of worshipers who have made that long pilgrimage to the Holy Mount to keep the law handed down to them through the ages. And then our, mind, our minds and eyes move to the center of the triptych. And there the young family stands 
this time with two more figures, an old man and a woman, and they're surrounded by crowds of worshipers from around the world who have flocked to the temple. Luke has a habit of doing this. He shines a spotlight on a male and a female pair in his Gospels, and he holds them up as faithful examples for us, his readers. And the old man that joins the family is named Simeon, and Luke tells us he was righteous and devout. And the old woman is Anna. She's 84 years old, a widow and a prophet. She was constantly at the temple, Luke adds, offering this layered description of a devout individual who shaped her life through worship and prayer. These two elders were both awaiting the consolation of Israel, Luke says, which is a poetic way of imagining God's restoration of the people. According to the prophet Isaiah, it would be a time of redemption, of renewal, of rejoicing. As in our reading this morning from Isaiah, for Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. And in the temple, teeming with visitors and worshipers, the Spirit leads the two elders to the young family. That small, ordinary family from the first panel with only enough money for a simple offering, they surely didn't stand out, did they? One family among many, no golden halos over their heads, no chorus of angels traveling behind them, nothing special, just two parents and a five-week-old baby. But as we focus on Simeon and Anna, we notice that Luke has introduced another figure into the scene just above their heads. We see a white dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rests upon Simeon, Luke writes, which is such a lovely description, which causes us to ask, what does it mean? for the Holy Spirit to rest upon us. Perhaps it was Simeon's persistence, that stubborn faith he held that God was about to do something new, something amazing in the world, and that he, Simeon, this old man, would live to see it. Perhaps it was his faithful presence, always showing up for worship and prayer, even when his bones ached and nothing seemed to change in the world. Perhaps it was his personal spiritual practices, the ways in which he held the word of Scripture in his heart until the promises of shalom overshadowed the cynicism of his day. Somehow, Simeon, through the years, had woven himself into the larger story of God's realm of salvation and shalom. It had become the way in which he understood himself. It brought meaning to his life. And the Spirit rested on him, the gospel says. So much so that when he sees the young family with that tiny baby in their arms, he feels a sense of joy and expectation, and he rushes up 
taking the child in his arms, and he begins to sing, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. His song is known by its first words in Latin, Nunc Dimittis. Since at least the fourth century, it has been a regular part of evening prayers and Christian worship, sung or read in compline, vespers, and even song services. And in his song, we hear both Simeon's acceptance of his life story that he would bear witness to God's realm and a proclamation of the universal scope of God's shalom, that this would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for God's people, Israel. The song ends. Simeon offers a blessing to the parents and the child, and with what I can imagine is a twinge of sadness in his voice, he says to the mother, Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul also. The future would not be easy. Simeon knows this all too well and the writer of Luke Acts is making it clear from the beginning that Jesus will be a divisive force. People respond favorably or negatively to him and his ministry. He will bring division among families as individuals accept or reject his message of presence of the realm of God breaking into the world. Now, before the young mother has a chance to process the meaning of Simeon's words, Anna steps forward and she joins her voices with Simeon's praising God, offering thanksgiving, and telling the passers-by of the good news surrounding this child, Emmanuel. In their beloved temple, in a city that is now occupied by foreign forces, this tiny baby holds the hope for all the world. Anna offers thanksgiving and testimony, which for the gospel is the fundamental response to recognizing God's work in the person of Jesus. We give thanks and we tell others. So here in the center panel of the triptych, we see the presence of the Spirit through thanksgivings raised and blessings bestowed. The temple power breakers, they never see that ordinary family from Nazareth as they faithfully observe their religious traditions. Those power brokers are too caught up in the way things were at the moment in the status quo in keeping things steady and regular. And other worshipers walk right by them too, focused on their own concerns. But these two elders, who had purposefully opened themselves up to God, to the mystery of the sacred through their long lifetimes of prayer, they held space to be amazed. They never assumed they'd seen it all. They didn't begin their words with, in my day. Rather, they faithfully expected God to be doing a new thing. 
And when it happened, they were ready. The wisdom of years, perhaps, is that gift of humility, of knowing deep in our bones there is so much more to the world than what we have seen and experienced. And with that humility can come the power to recognize the spirit at work in other people without envy or the drive of competition or fear. When we are content with our own giftedness by God, it opens us up to be free to see and name the giftedness of others. Elizabeth O'Connor, in her wonderful little book, The Eighth Day of Creation, which is an exploration of gifts and creativity, called this being a patron of gifts. A patron of gifts is one chosen, named, or honored as a special guardian, a protector, a supporter. Simeon and Anna are such patrons of gifts. They actively recognize the work of the Spirit in others, and they name those gifts out loud. It's holy work they are doing, naming and blessing the presence of God's giftedness, not in themselves, but in others. The third panel of that triptych takes us back to Nazareth. Far from the Temple Mount, and we see the small family settling back into their daily lives. The three figures are no longer surrounded by the crowds in the temple. They are on familiar ground at home and at work. Yet the family on this side of the triptych has been altered by their experiences in Jerusalem. The amazement the parents felt at the words of Simeon and Anna stayed with them just as the stories the shepherds told them before. As a family, they treasured those words. They pondered them over and over as they went about the chores of the household. And we see that those blessings offered them carry through. From the spiritual highs of treasured rituals, those blessings shape their ordinary lives in profound and yet simple ways. Luke tells us that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. We can imagine that this development of the young Jesus didn't just happen on its own. His parents found the courage to take up the challenge of parenting this blessed child marked with wonder and mystery and the presence of the Spirit. As we come to the end of 2023 and we step across that threshold into another new year, I think Simeon and Anna offer us examples of deep wisdom and spirituality for our time. They practice patience, after all. They are in it for the long haul, with an openness to the movement of the Spirit around them. And they have shaped their lives through the rituals and stories of their faith. But they have done so with an active hope, a hope that recognizes the newness and potential in the present moment. 
The third century church father, Origen, invites us to place ourselves into the role of Anna and Simeon when he writes, Let us, too, stand in the temple and hold God's Son and embrace him, and that we may deserve leave to withdraw and start on our way towards a better land. Let us pray to God, the all-powerful, and to the little Jesus himself, whom we so much want to speak to and to hold in our arms. In that center panel of the triptych, we see what happens when we pay attention. When we embrace the gift of the Christ child into our world, when we shape our lives by the rituals of our faith in such a way that we see the gifts of God that surround us, both in the ordinary moments that become holy and sacred and in those special moments we mark with ritual and awe. May we see the moments that are unfolding before us as holding that sacredness for us. And may we see the new year with the eyes of the heart. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.